Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, your host of Nonprofit on the Rocks and co-founder of Envision Consulting, which is a national consulting firm providing executive search and strategic planning and mergers to nonprofits across the country. And with us as always is Ashley Watterson, our producer. How are you doing today, Ashley? I'm doing great, Matt. I am super excited, like geeking out excited about this conversation with Molly Snow because you know how in Seinfeld, how George Costanza talks about how he doesn't like his worlds to collide? Yes, yes, I and do. And that's like a big thing with George. I am the opposite. I love nothing more than when my worlds collide. And in this instance, my worlds are colliding because I don't know if our listeners know this, Matt. I am a huge pickleball fan, pickleball player. I need to interrupt you for one second, Ashley, because first of all, you've been talking longer than we're allowed to have you talk. But second of all, pickleball? What does that even mean, by the way? Are you throwing pickle? I don't know. I've never understood what that means. It is the fastest growing sport in the country. And it is essentially tennis meets ping pong. It's played on a small tennis court with a graphite paddle and a plastic, almost like a wiffle ball. I just fell asleep. I don't <laughs> pickleball. Come on. How do you say it, it with is, a straight face? Does not involve pickles. And yes, I agree. It's a weird name. But the point is, it's just such a fun sport. I absolutely love it. And I have started a pickleball brand called the Picklin Vixens. And you can find us on Instagram. And here's the cool thing about my little brand is that the proceeds from our online store go to support Girls on the Run Los Angeles. That is how the worlds collide. See? So I love Molly Snow. I love this organization. You and Molly are so fun. And it's it's just a great conversation. And of course, I'm biased because I love Girls on the Run. And so that's why I'm super excited about this episode. You know, what I truly loved about this episode was when Molly and I talked about having those Texas instrument calculators in high school. Do you remember, do you remember that, Ashley? Do you remember those? I 1000% remember the TI-82, TI-84s. Hmm. Um, even though I failed calculus, um, I really do think I only passed because my teacher like liked me and, and was really just felt sorry for me. What is calculus is the one that's like sine cosine, right? That's what calculus is, right? That's that is my recollection. Yes, I'm so terrible at math. I don't know how in the world I passed high school. I don't know how either of us passed high school. I think we got by on charm. I think it was our looks, Ashley. I think it was our looks. Yeah, definitely looks and charm. But what I remember, sadly, about the TI eighty two was that we had this game that you could upload called Drug War. I learned the term quaalude from this game and you had like a trench coat and you could open your trench coat and you could choose to buy or sell and you could get guns. I mean, it was this terrible, terrible game that we all were obsessed with and would play during math because it was way more interesting than calculus. And then we all got in super big trouble and they made us delete them off our calculators. Wait, this wait, was pre-cell phone. So you're saying that what we were supposed to use that, that calculator for was to geek out in calculus and you used it to play some completely inappropriate game about flashing people with a trench coat and drugs? <laughs> that is 100% what I just said. I was not cool in high school. I didn't know anything about that. So how did that not make its way to Beverly Hills? You know what, Ashley? You know what? It's because some of us were working really hard in high school. Some of us were actually studying. 
<laughs> no, what it is, is that you guys probably had like legit people selling quaaludes out of trench coats. I don't know, but I just think like you guys didn't need to like live vicariously through your calculator games. That is true. I guess we did, have, <laughs> we did actually have people selling and buying drugs at my high school as opposed to looking at it on a calculator. Where the hell did you grow up? Kansas City. No, oh, but I feel, isn't Kansas City like the capital of meth and everything? <laughs> no, fountains, Matt, the city of fountains. I asked you this last time where in the world Kansas City is. It's like in Missouri. <laughs> no, Arkansas. Wait. Kansas and Missouri. Kansas and Missouri. Why is there a city on a border of two states? Why isn't there more? Considering how many borders we have in this country. <laughs> why, when they were making Kansas City, why didn't they just put it into a state? I don't understand where they would have divided They did. It. They put it in Missouri for the most part. But I guess Missouri City doesn't really flow off the tongue. I mean, it could. You don't know any better. Or you just know Kansas City. Why would they do that? You know what? I'm sad to say I lack the intellectual curiosity to have looked up that very question. All right. So for, for our outro of this show, just to remind everybody that Ashley and I get even stupider at the end of the show, <laughs> uh, we're going to tell the audience why in the world there is a city on the border of two states. We're going to go look that up. Meanwhile, you all are going to listen to this fantastic episode with Molly Snow, Executive Director of Girls on the Run, Los Angeles. We will see you in the outro. Hello, Molly Snow. How are you today? Hey, Matt. I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Now, this is this has really been a shitty week, like for me especially. So I'm trying really hard to keep this show like up and I'm gonna do my best to just drink and be happy. I'm going to join you in that, all of that, everything you just said, times two, and um, maybe we can help each other. That's right. Well, okay. So on that note, since this is a happy hour show, what are you drinking? I'm drinking good old Jameson Irish whiskey, uh, stout edition, which means that this was aged in a stout beer barrel, which makes me feel very fancy. Beer. I like that. That's cool. I am just drinking bourbon neat, and I was going to make an old fashioned, but you know, cutting the cutting the orange and putting the zest and all of that. I just said, yes. we're just going to go straight bourbon. So cheers mm -hmm. to yes. you. Yes, cheers. Cheers to us. Cheers to no muddling your drink. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I would, I would maybe, you know, maybe halfway through this, I'll go make myself a, a old fashioned as we get through the, the next hour. I mean, that's, you're going to, you're going to need it halfway through. You're going to be like, why didn't I just make two to begin with? So. Uh, so I get, I get yelled at by Ashley all the time. I cannot help it, but I do like to timestamp, which I know is not, not smart in a podcast. Although to be honest, I don't really know why, because everybody knows in a podcast, you're taping it at some point. So well, she gets mad at me, but we are right now in the third week of January. Mm. We are in like the height of Omicron. It is, I felt like we've been like punched in the face. So with that, how are you doing? I was going to say we're in the like 54th week of January. So thank you for actually time stamping it. So I know where we are in time. Gosh, you know, honestly, Matt, <laughs> it, this year, I don't know if it's because my expectations were high or or what but this year has definitely kicked me in the ass right from the start and if I'm honest both personally and professionally so it's just been a rocky rocky end of 21 and start of 22 and 
the the glass half full side of me keeps saying, well, good. You know, I mean, maybe we got it out of the way <laughs> and we're, it's uphill from here. It's up, up, up from here, not uphill. I don't need any more uphill, but maybe we just have nowhere to go, but up. And wouldn't that be great for the rest of the year? God, I hope that when COVID started, I said, like everybody else, I'm just going to grow facial hair because I don't feel like shaving. And I grew my facial hair out, which, you know, I think looked okay. Also, it covered the wrinkles. So like for me, it was like, it worked. Also, I was lazy. But I said, as soon as the vaccine comes out, I'm shaving off my face. And I did when the vaccine came out. And then as of like January with Omicron, I was like, nope, I'm growing it back. And so <laughs> you're staring at me and I am back to a facial, back to facial hair. But I will say yet again, it covers the wrinkles. And that, if nothing else, you know, helpful. Yeah. Well, now you have this facial barometer. We'll all know like your emotional state based on facial hair. And of course I am a little bit envious because I'm, all I have is like the blurry, the blurry settings on Zoom to help with the wrinkle thing. Yeah, this has been what's so interesting. So I, you know, I like Zoom, but our office uses Google every once in a while. And on Google, you can't, like there's no fixing your face. I know, <laughs> damn right? you Google. <laughs> but on Zoom, you can. So when I'm on Zoom, I don't see the bags. I don't see like the discoloration. I don't see any of it. But when it's Google, oh my God, I look terrible. So like, this is, we got to see each other in person again. It's not going to be, it's going to be real ugly. It's gonna be I, real ugly. <laughs> well, I'm not sure this is elevating my mood, but you are, <laughs> you are correct in everything you've said. Oh God, we've just lost our only listener. We literally just lost, even Asher. <laughs> Even Ashley's out. She's like, you know what? I'm, I'm out. I'm out, guys. Like, come on. All my right. mother just shut off this episode. <laughs> you know what? My parents have stopped listening, so it's all right. All right. We're going to, we're going to turn us around, Molly. We're going to, we're going to turn it around. Okay. We're going to like, just get, get excited because here's what I'm going to, I'm putting this out here. Okay. When this episode airs, mm-hmm. Omicron's going to be gone and things are going to really have turned around. So we're putting it out there that's in the universe. I really like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's okay. feel our power. Yep. Okay. So, and by the way, if that just means that we don't air this until December, so be it. But <laughs> it's, get, it's going out there when Omicron goes away. So that's December, December of what year? <laughs> yeah, you brought it down. You just brought us back down again. You just brought us back down again. <laughs> All right. One of the reasons why I'm so excited about this interview is because there are a few people in my office who are like, humongous fans of yours and the organization. So you need to know that in our office, you were like a celebrity. And so when I told them I was doing this, they were like heads exploded. So excited about you. So normally when I do these podcasts, I talk about the person first, really like to get to know you and then talk about the organization. However, I'm going to turn it around tonight. And I'd love for our folks who are listening still to uh, learn more about Girls on the Run. So tell us a little bit about your organization. Oh yeah, I would, I would love to do that. This will turn things around because it's a happy, happy mission that we have. And this is just what we need in this moment, right? Let's talk about this. So Girls on the Run, it's a, it's a positive youth development program. So right there, I just use the word positive, Matt. We're already, we're already turning the conversation. And we focus on girls who are in third grade through eighth grade. So that is, for those people who aren't around children a lot, that is an eight-year-old to a 14-year-old. It's not just positive youth development. It actually specifically uses physical activity as part of how we empower and build confidence in girls. 
So what we call it when we're feeling really, when we're just feeling crazy, we call it P-A-P-Y-D, physical activity, positive youth development. Nice. Go ahead. It rolls off the tongue. Try it. P-A-P-Y-D. So anyway, it does involve running. Running is a great tool for building confidence in girls, but the bigger, I don't know if it's the bigger part, the cooler part in my eyes, especially these days, is that it's accompanied by a social and emotional learning curriculum that is super powerful, really transformational and really uplifting for real. And I think that's how a lot of girls, especially now through isolation and all of the craziness of the last two years, I think that's how they're navigating some really difficult times. And it's restoring peer conversations. It's helping them build up their self-esteem in a time when things suck. So, but I will say too, Matt, like prior to COVID, the program was still absolutely just as essential because those are really hard years because I can't see your wrinkles because through, through the beard, I don't know your age, but for like me and my age, I was going to say generation, which makes me sound a thousand, but for me, like being a girl has changed in every way from what I experienced to what they have now, you know, there was no social media. <laughs> I mean, I think we had calculators. There were no computers. There were no cell phones. You're going to, you're going to tell me that you had like a stone rock and like a chisel. <laughs> and that's how you like figured out math. I mean. <laughs> right, right. It was not, it was pre-abacus. So it was a long time ago. And luckily I'm still here because it's really a joy to see how to do this work and to see how girls, when given the right tools, they can really excel. So, so it's a wonderful program. It's super fun. You know, it's funny in, I've gone through my house like a hundred times throwing crap out. Cause that's all I can do is just make my house clean. And I think this last time I finally got rid of my Texas instrument, finally got rid of my <laughs> calculator. And for those of you who like, I don't, do kids use calculators anymore? Is that? Is Not your mom's calculator. I mean, these now you wouldn't know how to turn it on. So, but I have a daughter who's 18. She's a senior in high school. Her calculator is not a Texas instrument. I'm just going to say. <laughs> I just remember having so much fun with them. I think it was like cosine was on there and like all those things that I don't remember. Like I'm the world's worst student. I don't even know what sine or cosine means. I, can't, I don't know any of that means anymore, but that was on the Texas instrument. I think, right? Well, yeah. I truly can't imagine being a kid with social media at all. I have, you know, a ton of friends with kids and nephews and nieces. And like, if I had social media, I'd be in so much trouble. So your kinds of programs are so important because it's just, I I don't even know how they do it with social media these days. I guess it's just part of the deal. I'd be in so much trouble. I am in trouble, actually. (laughs) With social media. Yeah. Yeah. I think the reports that are coming out and the studies that are being done on the effects on the brain and maturing and socializing kids, it's really, really scary. The research is pretty tragic. But now then, you know, enter 2020 and now you're stuck at home. And even though they were taking online classes, it's not all day. It's not the same schedule. And so everybody amped up their use of social media because you really needed some kind of connection to society and it wasn't a healthy connection. It still isn't probably. And so, yeah, I think that having tools like Girls on the Run or other programs that help especially these ages where you're really starting to form who you are and create your persona and your personality and figure out how you want to contribute to the world. It's really nice to have some guidance besides TikTok, because I don't think TikTok is actually approved as uh, 
social and emotional learning. Irene, I go into that TikTok hole, like, so <laughs> I just, I have so much, I, I, half of my friends get like TikTok uh, texts from me and now you're going to get one. So, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I can only imagine. It's funny when I, when I first heard about Girls on the Run, I mm-hmm. thought about like, I haven't gone to the gym since like 1987 and I see your Peloton behind you. So like, I know you're doing it, but I literally haven't worked out in a hundred years. So girls on the run, like every time I see the name, I'm like, crap, I'm lazy. That's it. That's what you do to me. Just so you know. (laughs) I, I feel badly, sort of. I feel like it's best if I make this distinction. You do see something behind me, but you said, so I know you're doing something. And I think you made an assumption there. I do have the equipment. This part is true. I do strive to get on it from from time to time, but I I know it's challenging, right? I think it's really hard for most of us to get motivated to engage in physical activity that actually helps everything from our physical well-being to our emotional state. No, seriously. I I I think like most people I like I had a gym membership. I had it. Yeah paid for it but did I use it no No. and it was always an excuse right so and it's January like this is the time people are supposed to be working out you know okay but tell us a little bit more so so you you're talking about the programs that you do what specifically are you doing to work with your girls yeah so the way that the program is structured is it's a 10-week program that happens generally after school certainly pre-COVID it was all on school campuses and after school hours where it made it really easy for girls to just finish up school and head right to girls on the run. It goes for 10 weeks for about 75 minutes twice a week. Okay. So they have 20 sessions total. And in each session, a a small group of girls, like eight to 15 girls will gather with a trained uh, mentor. We call them coaches. You know, nobody wants to go meet with a mentor. There's not a nine-year-old who's like, yeah, sign me up for that. So we call them coaches and we really trick the girls into having a great time in in how they learn about themselves and establish these values that we want to hand down. So they meet in these small groups. There is time for physical activity. There are really fun interactive activities and there is running. And I'm just going to go ahead and confess about half the girls actually like the running and the other half are doing everything they can to get out of the running. Sounds like me. Yep. But what they all do like is the the social exchange part of it. So the social and emotional curriculum, that allows them this really safe space to explore certain ideas about how they are going through this time period in their life. And what I mean by that is they talk about things like what makes a good friend, right? When you're trapped in these years and now you've got social media on top of it, it doesn't hurt to have a little help from somebody thinking through like, well, what, why do I like that person? Or what does that friend bring to me? And how does that friend better me in my world? So there are things like that. There are great, great sessions on positive self-talk, which I think is amazing because all of us are programmed to sort of just denounce the things that are great about us, right? We, we want to appear humble or we just don't think we're great. And so learning early on to quiet the voice that tells you all the things that are wrong with you and actually elevate the voice that wants to tell you how you're wonderful and all the the traits that you have that are special and unique, how those are what make you valuable to society. And then there's this piece of it that I really love that we do for the younger girls. So the, the elementary, the third through fifth graders, where they actually have to come up with a community impact project. So they work with as a team to figure out how they can actually do something positive for their community. And that could be 
you know, their class, their school, it could be something outside of school. But anyway, so they have these 20 different sessions where they, every day it's a different, every time they meet, it's a different topic. They get to explore, they get to talk about themselves, which girls this age really do mostly enjoy doing. And it's really safe. Like they have this camaraderie that I think allows them to explore things that they might not otherwise. And then they run. And so they get to be physically active, which is lacking in today's regular school curriculum, you know, like PE barely even exists anymore. So another thing that's like with a Texas instrument calculator is phys ed. It's gone. I got to tell you as a, you know, lazy student, I hated PE. So like at the end of the day, that wouldn't make me upset. I think, you know, my, my freshman year of high school, uh, you know, you had to like run the mile. I walked the mile and I mean this, this is not a lie. I walked the mile in 15 minutes. That was my time for the mile in freshman year of high school. And so, which is why I'm telling you girls on the run freaks me out. But so I started swimming and I got onto swim team so that I didn't have to run. <laughs> That's how lazy I am. Well, I, in all honesty, you're kind of tapping into part of the magic of the program because while of course run is in our name, it's called Girls on the Run, that is, that is a part of it. What we're really saying to the girls is physical movement is what's important. And so if you don't love running, which is by the way, half of you, and we know it, walk, do the, absolutely walk, keep moving forward. And when you're walking, maybe try to walk further next time, right? We're trying to get them to think about it in terms of a goal that is appropriate for them and their physical abilities, whatever those may be. And of course they vary greatly. And the cool thing about running, even though obviously this didn't, this was meant nothing to you. The cool thing about running is anybody can do it. You know, you don't have to be good. Nobody's relying on you to be good at it. You just put one foot in front of the other and try not to trip. So it's um, accessible. You didn't realize that you were going to come on a show talking about your organization that has to do with running and the host was going to just tell you how much he hates running like that. <laughs> if I really go, if this were a true confessional, I might admit that running isn't really my favorite thing either. No, don't worry. Nobody listens to the show anyway. So it's, <laughs> you could, you could say anything you want. We've got like three listeners. And as I said, that's down from the five when my parents stopped listening. So, and one of them is me just making sure Ashley's doing her job, which she's not. Uh-oh, I hear that music. I think it's time for another Matt Plan Across America. Ashley, team me up. This question comes from Regina. Matt, I want to transition from working for a nonprofit to working in corporate responsibility or as the program officer for a foundation. In other words, I want to give money away instead of asking for it. How does one do this? Thank you, Regina, for that amazing question. I gotta be honest, I also wanna give money away. And so here's what I'm gonna put out there. If any foundation director is listening to this show, if you are looking for somebody who wants to give money away, I'm that guy, so let's make it work. And in all honesty, Regina, how you go get that job is just get to know all your foundation friends out there. Talk to them about how they got into that world because truly it is, I think, all of our dreams to give money away and then just apply for a job the minute you see it. It's a very competitive world. It's very hard to get a job in a foundation space, but once you're in, you're in. And the other thing to know is that as I'm so terrible at promoting Envision, we are a recruiting firm as well. And we do a lot of searches and some of those searches are foundations. So if any of you are listening and you do wanna get into that foundation space, check out our website. You may see a job every once in a while for a foundation. 
Thanks for your question, Regina. And now back to this interview with Molly Snow, Executive Director of Girls on the Run, Los Angeles. So I'd love to know how you got to this job because you come from the development space. So mm -hmm. becoming the Executive Director of Girls on the Run, why'd you decide this was the organization, this is the time that I wanna be an Executive Director? I know, who says to themselves, I wanna be an Executive Director? Right? Well, yeah, I had finished a half a bottle of Jameson and I thought, what is that? no, I mean, it's a terrible idea and I don't recommend it, but you know, it, it's just a short story. This is a program that is available across North America. I mean, it's, it's here across the States in abundance. And then it's also in Canada and I'm from the great state of Michigan and the program is huge there. It is a rite of passage. The third graders, they all do girls on the run which I think is super cool. And I was back visiting and my niece, who is an awesome person anyway, was probably in the fourth grade. And I think she was doing Girls on the Run for the second time. And when she was telling me about it, she was absolutely lit up. I mean, she was so excited. She was fired up to talk about it. I don't know what she loved about it, but whatever it was, it was working for her. And as we spent more time together, not only did she mention how much she loved the program, but then I was, was just noticing how her confidence was off the charts. We were hitting golf balls. I grew up on a lake. And so we were at my parents' house on this lake and there's not a lot else to do. So sometimes you just chip golf balls into the lake and then go retrieve them. So that's a great summer activity. And she was hitting these golf balls and she was absolutely terrible. Absolutely the worst golfer you've ever seen. And I'm a terrible golfer, so I can say that. I think it's a stupid sport. I think it's a great sport for people who love frustration. That's what I think. So it's not for me. And, but my niece, also not for her, but she did not know that. She was so confident. She was like, look at me, Aunt Molly, I'm killing it. And I was like, good for you, girl. It was like dribbling off the tee and going two feet, but she didn't see it that way. And she didn't see herself as a failure. She saw herself as completely successful in whatever she was trying. And what I locked in on was there was some sort of association between her love for this program and her view of her own self-efficacy. And I immediately came back to Los Angeles and looked up the program and <laughs> It just happened that the only job available in Los Angeles was this executive director position. And so I, I went for it. So uh, being an executive director is just, it's not an easy job. And I don't know if people who maybe think they want to be an executive director or on our board and don't quite understand, like it's a lot of work and it's not easy. And so, you know, you do have to care about the mission because if you don't care about the mission, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. And I'm curious, like COVID aside, which is an impossible thing for me to say, cause it's been two years, but COVID aside, what is your favorite part about being an executive director of your organization? Um, I think there are, there are two parts to that. So my, my favorite part about the role, if I'm 100% honest, is that I do really like the idea of steering the ship, I guess. I like the idea of being the decision maker on something that I'm really passionate about and deciding how we approach it and how we stay true to and represent our values and how we think about Every time we make a decision, what does that mean for the girls that are in the program? 
I really like that part. It sounds super corny, but I, I love that part of it. There is a dark side to that part too, which you hear from executive directors and you feel responsible for everything and the weight on your shoulders can feel heavy, but, but I like it as well. And then the reason I like it, I think is pretty specific to this organization. I mean, you know this from your work, we have a great board of directors and that is like gold when you're an executive director. I think part of, part of that is just the culture we've created, which I love. And I, I feel like if I'm going to do this work, this is how I'd want to do it. I'd want to do it with a great, really strong group of people behind me who have my back. I'd want to do it with a really committed staff, which I have. And so I'm really lucky that I have all those things. I can imagine a lot of scenarios different from my own that wouldn't work for, right. for me personally. Right. So what is your, like, so if, if I'm a, if I'm graduating college and I know I want to get into nonprofit, I know at some point I want to be an executive director of a nonprofit, what advice would you give me to get to that point? Right. Like what, what would you tell me that would help me grow into some point being NED? Oh my goodness. So I don't feel like you have to have a certain path to get here, right? I don't think you have to check a bunch of boxes. For example, a master's in, in nonprofit management. I think what is helpful is learning what you are passionate about and deciding for yourself how you can affect change. And then working towards that. So for me, my previous role was not an executive director. I actually was working for a for-profit company and we were a consultancy and I worked with a lot of nonprofits. And what that allowed me to do was get sort of an inside peek at how a lot of nonprofits operate. And actually the more information you can gather, the more helpful it is to steer you in the right direction in any career. But it was really useful to me to have exposure to both the, the local chapter and the national headquarters to see kind of what some of the challenges are in relationships like that. It's not really advice. I, I don't really dispense advice. I'm going to be honest because everybody has their own journey, but I do feel like if this is the thing you think you want to do, talk to a lot of executive directors, gather a bunch of information, get real information, and then figure out like steps along the way that can diversify the skill set that you have. Because if you're in a small organization in particular like ours, but I imagine this would apply anywhere, you have to wear a thousand hats. And so you better come to it knowing a little bit about a, a lot of things is going to serve you very well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I was starting out before I became an executive director and I knew I wanted to be. I did have like informational interviews, informational conversations with a ton of CEOs and executive directors and nonprofits. And what was, I think, very telling for me was like, I reached out to probably 25 nonprofit executive directors mm. and only half even responded to me, by the way. And then of those, only half agreed to see me. 
The guy that I was most impressed with who saw me was the executive director CEO of the LA Food Bank, which is a huge nonprofit. And he made time for me and he sat me down in his office and he's, you know, this is a huge nonprofit, busy, busy guy, sat down with me, talked with me, answered my questions, was awesome. And I learned from that, that no matter what, no matter what position you're in, no matter where you are, no matter how big or small that nonprofit is, you need to make time for the next generation or for people who want to talk to you, you have to make time. And it, it's really hard because being in, being a leader is, I mean, it's a horrible job and you don't have time, but I do think that that taught me such a valuable lesson that mm-hmm. it's so important to really invest and give back to the next generation of leaders. That was so important for me. So, you know, that would be my advice. And I appreciate that that's what you said. It is really important to have those conversations. And I learned a lot. I mean, I would tell people not to be an executive director, but you know, that goes against my job. So <laughs> we, we had a board meeting not too long ago and I was sharing something that was unpleasant about, that I was dealing with, with the board because they obviously have a need to know. And I was feeling really horrible about this particular situation. I Definitely, as you can already tell, I'm skirting the details, but it was just one of those things that it was a really small detail that I guess I overlooked that mattered a a lot. And it had to do with something that isn't my expertise. I mean, we're talking about HR related things. And one of the board members who is a fundraiser herself finally just said, you know, I think about my own career path often. And I always think, why in the world would anybody become an executive director? Because you ha- you're expected to know all of these things about too many areas. And it's, it's a little bit unrealistic. And I think that probably plagues the smaller organizations more so than the large ones, because we don't have a bunch of departments. We don't have an HR department. We don't have an HR person. We don't have an IT person. I'm sure you, I know you know. Yeah, I think that boards expect their executive directors to be everything, right? To know everything. And that isn't possible. So I I do always want boards to like remember that they're not perfect and that one person can't possibly know it all. So that is really important. Yeah. And I was so grateful that she spoke up and basically said, you can't know it all because I have no idea who's sitting around that board table thinking otherwise. You know, and so to have someone be the voice of reason, that isn't just me, is quite a gift. What do you do to decompress, to turn off your cell phone, to just like give yourself a minute? What do you do? And what would you suggest people can potentially do just to like not be so stressed out? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's a really good question. I think I'm pretty good at that, to be honest, because I have to be like, it just... There is a part of me, I, I love this organization and I love our mission and I love what we do and I love our community. I mean, we have the best community, but at the same time, it's not my whole life. And so keeping that perspective really matters. I mean, I feel like keeping that perspective and creating that culture for your staff matters too, because you can't do one thing and say one thing and then exhibit another. But the things that I do, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I. I live in an area here in LA where I can walk every single day. It's a beautiful, hilly, outdoorsy area, which fills my soul. So even if I just do a 30 minute walk and do not listen to like an important podcast or try to learn anything while I'm walking, but actually just 
absorb the beauty around me and get some fresh air and move myself. Um, that helps me a ton. And then, you know, I always, always have a bottle of Jameson handy just in case. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm really careful about sending emails and working after hours in a way that's crazy. Like, of course, sometimes I'm up at 6am and I'm emailing and I then have to sort of reprimand myself for that. But I do think you have to detach. You have to force yourself to not be there all the time on the clock. I think it's also really important for staff because if you're up at 6 a.m., then they think you expect them to be. And I do think it's really important that you do take time for yourself. Though I do think as you're walking, truly, Molly, you should maybe listen to a podcast of mine. But, you know, which you didn't say, and I won't take that personally. But yeah, I do think it's really important to, to take that time for yourself. If you were an executive director who wanted like a peer-to-peer kind of network, those are the things that I thought were really important when I was running my shelter was I wanted to be around other EDs. So what do you think of that idea in terms of maybe building that kind of a network or getting folks together to be able to rely on each other and kind of complain to each other and like commiserate with each other? I absolutely love it. You probably have heard many times when you were an ED and since how it's the loneliest job you can have right? You only have people above you and below your peerless in your daily work. And being a part of a national organization actually affords me that opportunity to connect with other EDs and on a regular basis. So that's fantastic. And if I didn't have that, so if somebody is an ED for a singular organization, yeah, try to connect, make a network and reach out. There is something so cathartic about just having a great bitch session about your board, about, you know, your staff, about turnover, about COVID, about being expected to wear a thousand hats, whatever it is, it really does help. Plus you learn things from each other. I mean, it's not just the bitch sessions are kind of nice, but I really learn a lot from my peers. You know, it's so hard to operate in a bubble. It's really hard. And who, who are you learning from? I think that's a um, great place for finding joy in the work. I think that's really important to find joy. So how do you, how do you find your joy in your job? Well, I'm, I'm super lucky in that there are a couple different like cohorts of executive directors where I can have that sort of connection because there are 185, I think, girls on the run councils. I have my pick of the litter. So we all get together and that's super helpful. The other thing that I find really joyful and actually important for sustainability right now, especially in these times, is finding ways to create a culture for the staff that gives them joy. Because without them, I am nothing. And if I can create a culture that feels joyful for them, that's, that's super happy for me. And it's great for the organization. And I think that goes both um, to the staff and to the board. I think you have to do that in both directions in any way you can. And that's different for every organization, right? I mean, sometimes it's uh, cocktail hour on your podcast and sometimes it's just sharing personal things that you never have time to talk about. It It can be whatever is appropriate for that group. I feel like Molly, you and I are like kindred spirits. You speak to me at the booze talk. I, you know, it's interesting. I had a, I did a presentation today to a, a group of grantees of this foundation and the topic was supposed to be about recruiting, but I spent half of the conversation talking about retention because mm-hmm. right now everybody's leaving. 
everybody's looking for new work. Everybody's asking for a lot of unrealistic things. You know, they want like a thousand dollars an hour to answer phones and all these other things. And so I talked a lot about retention, a lot about organizational culture. And I think that making staff feel important and, and necessary and included and supported is really important, but really making folks want to be at an organization, that's hard. And so creating that culture, how do you, as a leader, create a culture at an organization where staff want to stay? Gosh, yeah. I mean, I I guess we really have to ask the staff if I've been successful at this, because maybe I just think I've created that culture and I have not. But I actually do try to to get to the bottom of that question too. I think it's important to ask the staff, first of all, what they value. What do you value? And if it's just salary, say so, but is it other things? Are there other benefits that we can provide that actually make it a great place for you to work and, and for, you, for you to be proud to come to work? So I think that that's number one. Like the first thing you better do is talk to your staff and find out what they value and then see what you can afford to do to make those things happen and stick with them and be genuine in it. And then the other thing that I do think I've heard from my staff that has worked for me and for us is transparency. And I'm a super transparent, almost to a fault person. Sometimes I wish I had a rewind button for the things that I say to them or or to the board. But in the end, it is to everyone's benefit that that's my fault, right? Like if, if my fault is being transparent and sharing with them, more than they probably bargained for, almost always they appreciate it. And I think what that ends up doing is building trust and the value you're talking about. Like somebody starts to feel really valued if they feel like you're bringing them into your inner circle. And I don't think of it like that. I don't sit down and think, how can I make them feel like they're in my inner circle? I just feel like I actually want them in my inner circle and we're tiny, we're six people. So we need to have that. We need to have trust. We need to have great communication and it has to be modeled, I think, at the top. And so I think that's a big part of it. I've sort of forgotten the question. I've been talking long enough and my drink's almost gone. That's going to be right there. So, you know, Ashley puts together like a promotional video and that's the line. That line for the show. You have made my whole evening. (laughs) Thank you, Molly. It's my great pleasure. <laughs> oh, it was the best. Thank you. I, I love it. Was, that may be one of my favorite lines of all of the shows that we've done this, over the last year and a half. You've made my day. Just if nothing else, if nobody else is listening, you've made my day. That makes me happy. You know, that I think, especially right now with COVID, making staff want to come to your work, creating the culture, that was the conversation. And I think that that is so important. So I wanted to just ask you a few more questions that are maybe a little bit serious. And then we're going to move on to a few fun ones. And then I'm going to let you go because I've already kept you for so long. All right. The name, Girls on the Run. Mm -hmm. I know that that's, that's been a conversation across, you know, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and all of those things, right? So how are you guys talking about that? How are you talking about, you know, trans girls and the name of your organization? Like, what's the conversation in the country? It is such an interesting conversation. And I am not afraid to say, I feel like here in Los Angeles, probably LA and New York are leading that conversation because it is more prevalent in our councils than it is probably for some of the other councils like Bozeman, Montana or whatever. But to be honest, 
everybody is, is encountering this. So one of the things that's great about Girls on the Run as a national organization is that there's a true commitment to access and inclusion. And so when you start thinking about access and inclusion, it gets into, well, access for who and who are we trying to include? And, you know, with the nature of gender identity being so fluid now and having changed so much, even in the last couple of years, it is for sure a conversation and we're having it pretty regularly. And I don't feel like this is giving anything away to say, I don't think we feel like we're even close to an answer and how to respond. But what I love is that the organization is genuine in gathering information and trying to find a path forward that is both appropriate for our mission and our brand and honors our our commitment to access and inclusion. And it's complicated, Matt. I mean, you know, it's so complicated right now. And here in LA, it's just, the, the pronoun conversation is an everyday conversation. You understand that you're going to introduce yourself and include pronouns. You understand that that happens absolutely as early as third grade and sometimes earlier. And you understand that we are dealing with a um, rapidly changing nature of things. So I guess the conversation's happening. It's being taken seriously. Everybody wants to do it justice. And it's really complex. Do you think that you'll be removing girls from the name of the organization? Like, do you think that that's going to be next? I have no idea. I would say, I don't think it's off the table. But being a national organization, there's brand recognition and there's considerations you have to think about. And you have to think about parts of the country where this probably isn't quite as big of an issue and changing the brand would be a bigger issue. So to be honest, I do not envy the people who have to face that question. Luckily, it isn't me. But for me and for the Los Angeles Council of Girls on the Run, I want to say I'm thoughtful and aware of the impression that having girls in the name gives and and it's really tricky yeah is a it is and i have mm-hmm. i have friends with the girl scouts and the boy scouts and yeah. all and girl inc and yeah. it, it is definitely the thing that people are talking about so the conversation yeah i'm very interested to see how you move forward and Me too. you know i will just add the the one other thing that makes it extra complex. This is probably what all of those organizations you just mentioned are thinking about. One of the the very basic elements of Girls on the Run and why it works is because it is a safe place for girls away from boys. In years where the traditional genders can be complicated, studies show girls will not speak up in front of a, a boy. And so the beauty of having a place for just girls is that they will speak up and they can explore and it's safe. And so that just adds a, a really interesting layer of complexity. Yeah, it's going to be a conversation for a long time. I like that it's coming up now. I think it's really important. Yeah. And it's an evolving fluid conversation. Absolutely. Okay, I promised you that we would have now a fun kind of conversation because I feel like our audience needs a little uplift. So if you were not the executive director of Girls mm-hmm. in the Los Angeles, what would you be doing? 
Well, it's a great question. I don't know, but what I sort of fantasize about is that if, if I didn't have to be realistic at all, what I would love to do and what really speaks to my heart is I'd love to have a huge piece of land and rescue a ton of animals and have a place where they can go and, you know, empty out some of these poor shelters where, you know, here in LA, I mean, get all those chihuahuas and pit bulls out of there. <laughs> Humans are more important to me than the pets, but I do have a very big place in my heart for that. And I don't know if you ever saw this, but Lindsay Vaughn, the downhill skier, she had this show that was a reality show that she's a big pet person and has a couple of little weird looking dogs that are hilarious. And so she did this reality show that's like an amazing race meets like something for dogs. Dog? West, West, Westminster. Yeah. So the humans and their dogs compete in all of these like challenges and they go around the world. And one of the things that's so cool is they go to this place in Costa Rica and this woman has like a hundred acres and like 1600 dogs. I mean, she's a little bit insane, of course, but what a lovely thing. So I do sometimes think about what if I just let my insanity fly and I go ahead and have 1600 dogs. No, no, you're not allowed to have 1600 dogs in Costa Rica, but I will say that it was the Betty White challenge. Here I am time stepping again, but it was the Betty White challenge and I donated and I know like millions of dollars across the world were raised, which is really amazing. Like really amazing. So, so cool. So cool. Okay. So now you're like, you're not a cat lady, but you're a dog lady. That's interesting. All right. Now I've learned some things about you. <laughs> yeah, dogs over cats, but I will say we had a cat for a brief period of time. Not not a brief period, quite a while. Our daughter ended up becoming allergic to this cat and we gave it to a friend and I bawled my eyes out when we gave this cat away. And this cat was dumb as rocks and I loved her anyway. <laughs> Every morning, 3 a.m., she, what, what do you want, Samantha? But I, I couldn't help myself. So. Wait, 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 wait. Your cat's name is Samantha? Yes. That's the best. That is the best name. I love that. Her name is Samantha. She was a, she looked like a Siamese mix. She's gorgeous, but boy, something was wrong upstairs with that poor cat. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there and it's, it's going to cause problems. And I'm sure I'm going to have people who are mad at me, but like cats suck and dogs are the best. So Samantha, the best. Samantha can go to your friend. She was great, but yeah, dogs are where it's at. Sure. I think so. By the way, my dog acts like a cat, so she doesn't really hang out with us, but she's still excited when we come home. Like when we come home, you know, dogs get really excited, but cats are like, oh, you're back? Are you going to feed me now? Cats don't care. They don't care. Unless it's 3 a.m. and then they want something that you can't actually identify. And they're like on your face, or like sitting on your face, like get up. Here's my paw on your face. Get up. I know they're the worst. <laughs> I'm going to end our show on, again, uplifting. Yes, uplifting, yes. not uphill, but uplifting. Uplifting. So 2022, again, I'm time stamping it. 2022 is going to be a good year. I've put it out there. And by the time we air this show, as I said, Omicron is going to go away. So I want you to tell me one thing that you want for this year, aside from COVID going away, that is just goodness. And probably I don't need to reiterate the whole, all those acres and the 1600 dogs because I already said that. One thing, no, in reality, one thing. Yeah, what I really want for this year. Okay, but it can't be COVID related because it, 
I can't even think outside of COVID. Do you not feel that way sometimes? I know. I can't think of outside of COVID, but if I want one good thing, if I could wave a magic wand, is that, can I go there? Is that, that this, that kind of question? Like what I would like is a little bit of like reality to come back to our, our country <laughs> and just like a little bit of peacemaking, a little bit of, and by reality, I mean, not everything is fake news. Not everything is suspect. Sometimes there are facts and sometimes there's science. And I would just like us to get back to sort of even like a middle ground on the things that are so dividing us as a nation that feel insane to me. I mean, Samantha probably thinks this is how the country should be run, but the rest of us feel like what has happened? Yeah, It feels nuts. And I really would love it if we could just have some sort of meeting in the middle where we're all just practical and we're human and we understand each other and we're not so ready to go to battle all the fucking time. Yeah. Here, here. I a thousand percent agree. Let's put it out there as Pollyannish, I guess as it sounds, that this year, this country a little bit more, maybe comes together. I'm putting that out there. I love right. it. We can start, right? Let's start. I want to end this with one last thing, Molly, that, that I think is really important. And that is, first of all, where can somebody go to find your organization to make a donation? Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking that. Yes. So you can donate at our website, which is G-O-T-R for Girls on the Run LA. So G-O-T-R-L-A.org um, is where you can donate, which would be fantastic. And why should somebody donate to mm -hmm. Girls on the Run LA? Yeah, fair question. When I was talking about what the program can achieve, you could dismiss it if it doesn't feel really, really relevant to you. But honestly, when we look at where we are today as a, as a nation and as a world, as a globe, um, I can't imagine who doesn't think it's important to help guide the next generation to do better. And that's exactly what we do. And we have proven impact there. And so it's really cool to know that when you donate, Basically, what you're doing is allowing girls, especially girls from underserved communities who would never have access to a program like this otherwise, access to this program. So the donation directly translates to more girls in the program from underserved communities. And what I feel like um, the ultimate outcome is, is better human beings on the planet that we all benefit from uh, their presence. I think that's so important and kind of what we talked about in terms of like, okay, in 2022, what do you want? The more kids that we can put into programs like yours, yeah. truly the better our country will be and the better our world will be because I can't take it much longer. So I, I hope that yeah. you, you know, folks listening are so inclined after our interview to go onto your website and donate. That would be amazing. We would certainly be grateful for that. So thank you for that opportunity. All right, my friend Molly, you were awesome. I know that we both are in a mood today, but I feel like we ended it on a good on a good end. So happy notes. All right. Thank you, Matt. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> Thank you very much, Molly. Hey Ashley. Hey Matt. So what'd you think of our friend Molly? It was funny and it was informative. And I loved it. And I love Girls on the Run Los Angeles. And I hope you can support the organization. So I got to be honest with you, when Molly and I started recording, we were both like, oh, it's 
day and this month and everything. We were just so tired and so unhappy. And I feel like we pulled it out. Like we just made it work. You totally made it work. I mean, I think the fact that she finished what an entire bottle of Jameson during the course of the episode. And one of my favorite parts was when you told her your favorite part was when she said she was like too drunk and forgot the question. Um, So that could have helped. The most amazing line of every single one of our podcasts was that line. Matt, I'm not sure we thought this all the way through. I feel like this is the danger of our show being sort of branded around alcohol and like you drinking with our guests. What happens when you start drinking a little too much? Do people start forgetting questions? Do they start, I mean, it's great because they open up to us a little more, but there's there's some danger there. I, I think what it grows to show is that I am a professional. I just can make it work all the time. Whereas uh, Molly, not so much. And that's what we've learned in this episode. Matt, you're like, and I'm, I'm bringing Indiana Jones back. I feel like somehow Indiana Jones comes up in a lot of our episodes for some reason. Um, but I'm bringing it back to the scene in the original Indiana Jones where Marion like out drinks the Sherpa. Mm. I feel like that's you. You're just rock solid. And so is your liver. At this point. I, my liver hopefully is, is going to be happy for some time. We'll see. I just got a blood test and everything is fine. So not bad for two awesome. years of the pandemic. Not bad. That is, that is very good news. So anybody who is still with us, who was starting with us at the beginning, wants to know, Ashley, why is Kansas City in two states? Okay, so literally I looked this up and my brain hurts because it was very confusing. And as we know, Matt, like you, I also not a good student. Mm -hmm. Um, Way too much information. I think what we can boil it down to is that Kansas City is just so awesome that Missouri and Kansas are both fighting to have the proprietary like naming rights to it sure. or or it's really not that awesome and neither one of them wanted it so unfortunately they both got half that's what i that's that could be it i guess we'll never know <laughs> we'll never know because i can't discern the history and have no way to refute what you're saying if it's any consolation at all i don't remember half of high school so Actually, and this was before you became a heavy drinker. Before. <laughs> oh, on that note, Ashley, is there anything else that you want to leave with our listener before we let them away from this misery? Yes, I want to remind our listeners that if they want to learn more about Molly and her organization or about any of our past guests, they can find us on the web at envisionnonprofit.com. Or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And as Matt always says that our, on our promos, don't forget to like us.